0: Hi, I'm Kathy Rushing, host of the podcast, Committed the Entrepreneur Marriage. If your middle name is Restless and you identify with words like innovator, dreamer, change maker, creative, independent, or you are married to an entrepreneur or heaven help you, you're both entrepreneurs, this podcast is for you. The entrepreneurial journey can be a little wild at times, like uncharted territory, Join me as I talk with others who are at various stages of the entrepreneur process. We'll explore the wisdom and insights they have gained while navigating the ups and downs of the entrepreneur journey. You'll discover that there are many couples who have found ways to thrive in both their marriage and business. My guests today are Tony and Felicity Dale. In 1987, they packed up the biggest suitcases they could find and moved their four young children across the pond from London to Austin, Texas. Talk about culture shock. They didn't know a soul, but they were following the Lord's direction to continue a ministry they had been part of as medical doctors serving the poorest part of London. Now married 49 years, Tony and Felicity share their story of walking faithfully, even when they couldn't see where the path was taking them. Tony started the Caris Group in 1996 after he injured his knee and successfully no- negotiated down a medical bill that was much more than he'd been quoted. The Caris Group negotiates medical cost savings for groups that share medical expenses. Initially, they saw this business as a way to support their house church ministry, something that Tony and Felicity have shared leadership and passion for since their early days of marriage. But later, it became clear that they should offer medical cost-sharing to anyone that wanted it, not just Christian groups. Sidera Medical Cost-Sharing Community was started to fulfill this mission, and last year in 2019... It was noted as the fastest-growing small business in Austin. Congratulations, guys. Felicity is also the author of several books about starting and leading house churches and the role of women in the church. This interview was done in May 2020 in the midst of the COVID-19 shutdown. Their story is a much-needed reminder of God's faithfulness when we can't see what the future holds. Join me now in meeting this delightful couple. Good morning, Tony and Felicity. I am so happy to see you this morning and especially to hear about your story, which I don't know a lot. I tried to dig around and I uh, found out a little bit of information, but I'm really looking forward to hearing your story today. To get us started, tell us a little bit about where you are now, how long you've been married, what your family looks like.
1: Okay, well, uh, we live in Austin, Texas, or now just outside Austin. Uh, We have been married for 49 coming up years.
0: Oh, congratulations.
1: Thank you. And we have four kids and 11 wonderful grandkids.
0: Oh my goodness, what a full and wonderful family. How long have you guys been in Austin?
2: We moved over here from England uh, to Austin back in 1987. So that's uh, what, about 33 years ago now. Okay. Uh, So I I guess we were just getting towards the end of our honeymoon when we left England. Really?
0: We had maybe
2: 20 years of marriage at that stage.
0: Okay. just getting over your honeymoon at 20 years. I love that. Well, let's let's go back to the very beginning. Uh, with 49 years, there is much to your story, I'm sure. But I want to just kind of hear a little bit about um, how did you guys meet? And where? Well,
2: I'll, I'll jump in and I'll, I'll let Felicity fill in uh, a very important part of the story uh, from her perspective. Uh, But we actually met uh, on Felicity's first day at medical school. It was the beginning of my second year and the beginning of her first. Uh, I won't bore people with the complexities of the British medical system. It actually (laughs) both in the same year uh, because I had done some uh, extra stuff at the beginning. Uh, And uh, I guess it was almost love at first sight. Um, certainly, because there were so few uh, Christians, and to both of us, it was important uh, that we would find someone that we shared our faith with. Okay. Um, that naturally threw us together, uh, and uh, very quickly, we did become best of friends and found ourselves involved in all sorts of things at the medical school.
0: Wonderful. So how long did you date before you got married?
2: Well... Probably
1: two, two years. I mean, it was probably three years off and on, but two years probably or 18 months before marriage. But it was dating at a distance because after the, at the end of Tony's second year, the end of my first year, he left medical school and went to Bible school for two years, uh, quite a distance away. So our dating was long distance.
0: Well, that's not easy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Rather like the current COVID crisis, where everything happens by phone, or in this case, by Zoom. Or less uh, those days. So uh, I, uh, in those days, you had to pay for long-distance phone calls. Uh, I'm <laughs> guessing that many people listening now can barely remember the time when a long-distance phone call might be expensive. And right. in England, back in the uh, uh, sort of early 70s, uh, it was very expensive. Uh, and I could only afford to call her typically once a week. Uh, and I had to count the pennies, literally, uh, to make sure that we didn't run out.
0: Oh, my goodness. So you were both in medical school. Then you left Tony to go to Bible school, then came back to medical school, finished?
2: I, I, I did. Um, uh, I, I guess you would have to understand what was going on in the journey. Uh, my, my family are missionaries. My father is a missionary doctor. Okay. Uh, uh, his father actually before him was also a missionary doctor. So I grew up in a very strong uh, Christian environment and a very strong medical environment. Uh, now, you know, I wasn't one of those kids who had planned to be a jet pilot or, you know, a policeman. Uh, no, I, I, uh, the only thing I ever really wanted to do was to be a doctor. Uh, So much so that here as I'm uh, entering the beginning of my second year of medical school, uh, God is actually really working on my heart. Uh, And I didn't realize it, of course, meeting Felicity there uh, right at the beginning of, you know, my second year, her first. uh, And, you know, beginning to fall in love with her, uh, but also saying, Lord, the most important thing in my life is to follow you. And what are you asking me to do? And to my shock and horror, the Lord found a way to speak very clearly to me and to tell me I was to leave medical school. Uh, so that was a huge challenge because medicine was the only thing i would ever seriously considered doing. Uh, and now it felt like, you know, God was calling me into something else. Uh, and I struggled with that for almost a year. Uh, But God's leading was so clear uh, that finally, just shortly before my third year was due to start, uh, I reached out to the the dean of the medical school and explained that uh, I was going to need to resign. Uh, And uh, uh, that I I had other things that I had to do. Uh, And so I did. I I went away uh, for two years. I didn't know I was only going for two years. Uh, I knew I was going away to Bible school. It would take two years. Uh, But near the end of that time, uh, as I began praying about what I should do next, uh, again, in equally clear ways, because for me, medicine had really been a kind of an idol. And I think anything Mm. in our lives, whether it's marriage, whether it's it's medicine, whether it's money, uh, whatever it might be that comes in between us and God is really a type of an idol. Mm. Uh, And so God was using those two years to begin to shape me for many of the things that subsequently we would find were absolutely uh, really crucial in our lives.
0: Wonderful. So you ended up getting married. And what, what did um, your plans for the future look like when you first married then? So it, it, there had already been some shifting a little bit in terms of, at least for you, Tony, what you thought... direction was going to take but by the time you married what what did the future of your work look like
1: we we didn't know all we knew was that we wanted to follow the lord where it actually led us was into probably at that stage the poorest area of london where because i graduated first um, i became a a family doctor in that area a very very poor and socially deprived
2: area and of course by then i had gone back to medical school god had in a very dramatic way uh, i mean very dramatic way opened up the door maybe i could tell you one tiny little snippet of i'd it. love
0: to hear that yes
2: i i i just wanted to make sure i wasn't surrendering back to my old idol if that's the right word and so i said lord if if this is for real i've never heard of anybody who went to our medical school, it was St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London, uh, or it's Very full name, that uh, the Royal and Ancient Hospital of St. Bartholomew. Founded in
1: 1123 to put American history in perspective.
0: <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's a it long time founded. standing.
2: It was founded to take care of people who were falling sick on their way to the Crusades. Uh, but uh, anyway, I've never heard of anybody who's a real snob medical school. It's like saying you went to Harvard or John Hopkins or something. Uh, I'd never heard of anybody who had quit in the middle, who had uh, ever gone back. So I reached out to the to the dean, it was still the same dean, that I'd had to tell him that I was leaving two years previously. Mm-hmm. I reached back to him, uh, uh, but in in my sort of praying, I felt like, Lord, because I want to be 100% sure this is you, uh, I can picture a situation where uh, when I ask, they might say, well, if you will do that that uh, first year, it's complicated. Your second it, year, it was my second year. Felicity's first year. It's a very important year in the medical training. Uh, if you'll do that year again, I could picture him saying that uh, maybe they would then let me come back. Uh, but I said, Lord, you need to do two things. Uh, if they ask me to do any of it again, uh, I'm going to tell them no. That uh, they <laughs> really should accept me exactly the way I am. Uh, and the scholarship I had that was taking care of my expenses, Lord, I need the scholarship to be given back as well.
0: Mm.
2: Well, Lo and behold, I get, uh, you know, I call him up and say, I, I, I think I'm ready to come back if you'll let me. Uh, and he hummed and hawed a bit, but he said, well, you know, Tony, you were a good student. Uh, come and see me and let's talk about it. And as, as we talk, uh, he, he says at one point, well, he says, uh, Tony, uh, he says, I'm, I'm inclined to let you come back, but uh, obviously you've been away for two years, uh, and I think that means you really need to do the first year all over again, because uh, that's such a heavy academic year. So it was exactly as this situation in my mind had unfolded. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I was trying to think, Lord, how do I answer that? And I I felt like the Lord gave me what maybe the Bible would call a word of wisdom. Uh, and I, I said to him, Uh, I I said, well, sir, do you you remember uh, that three-month break between uh, the first year that you want me to do again and the beginning of the second year uh, in your life? And he said, oh, yeah, I remember it really well. Uh, And and I said to him, I'll bet you forgot most of it in those three months in much the same way you're thinking I forgot most of it in the last two years. And he laughed and he said, absolutely, I did. Uh, (laughs) And uh, so I said, well, how about I just agree there's another four or five months before the new school year begins. Uh, I'll work hard in my spare time. I'll go over everything again. Uh, But I don't think I should do any of it. Uh, I, I shouldn't need to do the year again. And he said, uh, on those terms, he said, I'm happy to accept you back. And Oh, a my
0: goodness. Back. Wow. What, so, a, what a story of persistence, right? You had a very clear direction, and you just hung with it.
2: Well, awesome. we needed the, the Lord's certainty. Uh, yeah. And, of course, uh, we then actually got married shortly before uh, uh, I started back there. Uh, but it now meant that Felicity was two years ahead of me.
0: Okay, so you were out working already, Felicity? Well, no, I still had
1: another couple of years to do okay. medical school. And okay. And it did mean I graduated a year early, and did all my hospital work and so on. Uh, okay. So you
0: married while you were both still in medical school? Quite challenging.
1: Yes, yes, we did.
0: Okay. All right. So you weren't sure where the direction was going to go. You were concerned and, and just your desire was to follow the Lord and where that led. So fast forward then to, you came to the U.S. you said in 1987. So tell us how that came about and what what you came to the States to do.
1: Well, uh, we had been very involved, not just in medical work for Tony, I had kids by that stage, but also in church planting in the east end of London. And uh, as well, we were very involved in an organization that taught uh, doctors and nurses how to bring their Christian faith into their professional lives. So, mm. how to pray with their patients, even oh. find the Lord. God had done a remarkable work, uh, not just in England, but in various other countries around the world too. And uh, Tony and I had been ministering in the States, in California, and we were on the flight on the way back to England. And we turned to each other and said, well, has the Lord shown you anything while we've been away? And to both of us, he had said the same thing, and that was that we were to move to the States, which came as something of a shock to us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, how do you know that that's, that's the Lord, or is it just that you've enjoyed, you know, being on a mission in the States? Right. And, uh, so um, within 24 hours of g- coming home, what well, Tony had said, there's just one person I would want to take over leadership of this organization that works among doctors and nurses. And, uh, but you know he's a very, very busy doctor, and I don't think he'd be available. But within 24 hours of getting home, uh, we got a surprise phone call from this doctor saying, you know, I had a, some, somebody came up to me in church yesterday and told me that my life was about to change, and I don't know why, but I thought you might have something to do with it. And sure enough, he became available to take over leadership of that organization. And so that was a real confirmation that we were supposed to, uh, to be, uh, be over here. And so um, about five or six months later, Tony and I, our four kids and our uh, about 12 of the largest cases the airline would allow, we arrived in Austin, Texas not knowing anybody. We did have somewhere to live, but we didn't know anybody. But what it felt like when we arrived, or after we arrived, I guess, was that the Lord got on, had gotten on the next plane back to the States because everything- Back was, to England. Back to England, yeah. <laughs> we'd come here for, just nothing worked out. We fell flat on our faces. Uh, and uh, the you know, doctors over here weren't interested in the same ministry. Um, you know, for a number of different reasons, I think the sort of the legal political situation over here for doctors is much more threatening than it was back in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, nobody wanted to employ two unlicensed physicians. Um, we really didn't fit into the American church system very well. And worst of all, it it seemed like. God had stopped speaking to us. We couldn't hear his voice any longer. We, we couldn't get new direction. And so basically it was very much of a wilderness backside of the desert type situation, which lasted for nine very long, very painful years.
0: Nine years.
1: Nine years, yes. I think it, it was just stubbornness on our part that we didn't go back to England where at least we could have you know, earned a living as physicians.
0: Right, right. Were you not? Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just curious about the licensing process. Were you not able to get licensed here? Does someone have to sponsor you or how does that work?
2: Um, No, you don't have to be sponsored, but uh, we were very clear that the Lord had led us here for uh, something other than just clinical medical work. Uh, You know, our British licensing would cover us in most British Commonwealth countries. We could have gone to parts of Canada, you know, could have gone all sorts of places all over the world, but not here. Uh, And uh, we looked into licensing. Would have taken about four years, have to do everything from our medical finals to our specialty boards again. Uh, But... We had no peace uh, that that's what God had brought us here for. We, we knew he had brought us here for something specific. And the fact that what we thought we were doing, i.e. starting this Christian medical organization over here, that that did not work, uh, just sort of drove us to our knees to say, well, then, Lord, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't want to disobey him by taking the easy route, which was just back into medicine.
0: And just to back up one step, how how did you move to Austin?
2: Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, all of these are stories in their own right. And I, uh, I I don't want to take any more time than you want us to take. But uh, we, we didn't have a clue where in the States we should move to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, in prayer, uh, the, I'm sure that's coming through that we really believe that Uh, Jesus meant it when he said, my sheep hear my voice. Mm. Uh, And we've been praying and asking the Lord. uh, And again, in an equally unique way, uh, he spoke to both of us independently uh, in such a way that when we compared notes, uh, that we realized we'd be going to Texas, but we did not know one living soul in Texas. Uh, But again, in, in God's economy, Uh, We were back in the States on a conference. I met someone uh, uh, who knew a pastor here in Austin. And since we knew we were coming to Texas, you know, ears pricked up at the idea of Austin. uh, And they suggested that we fly down and meet him. Uh, And Mm -hmm. we did. And this pastor offered space for this ministry we were going to start within uh, their church facility. Uh, And through one of their church members also got a place for us to rent. Uh, So the doors opened, and so we came to Austin, Texas, not actually knowing anybody.
0: My goodness. With four kids, and how old were your children at the time?
1: They were, the oldest was nine, and the youngest was three.
0: My goodness. Okay. So for those nine years, um, what did you do for work? How did you support yourselves, and where did it go?
2: (laughs) I would say with great difficulty, we supported ourselves. Um, when we came over, we brought what money we had, so we had some savings, um, and uh, you know that tied at us over the first year or so. Um, we uh, we uh, found out uh, it turns out subsequently, probably mistakenly, uh, uh, but we were led to believe that we would be allowed to earn money uh, in working for ourselves. Uh, actually, technically, we probably weren't. Uh, But uh, 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 we got invited through friends into uh, Amway, which many people are familiar with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, this experienced doctor tried to figure out how he could sell, and he was hopeless at it. But uh, but God (laughs) was good to us, and actually, uh, we were able to just about sustain. Uh, But it was getting near the end of this nine years that we've described. Uh, and all of a sudden, something changed in, in the way that, that business ran. Uh, and everything that we had built disappeared almost overnight. Uh, and uh, now, by now, we did have green cards and uh, all of that stuff. You know, we were now on the road to citizenship and we allowed to work. Uh, but again, no, nobody will hire you. Basically, they say you're, you're overqualified for anything. And we know as soon as you find anything better, you'll go to it. So we we couldn't even get menial jobs, let alone significant jobs. Uh, And we really were desperate uh, as we were getting near the end of this. We didn't know it was the end, but God knew we were getting near the end. Mm -hmm. And we we gave God an ultimatum. And we said, Lord, either you clarify what we're doing here and what we're supposed to do, or uh, we're going to go back to England where at least we can pick up the pieces uh, I was very well known as a physician there, it would have been easy to go back into practice, we would maintained our licensing, uh, and uh, we, we said, Lord, end, end of 96, we're going back to England if we haven't figured out what we're doing here. This was in the spring of 96. Well, almost, almost immediately things began to change. God began speaking to us again and said, mm-hmm. basically, I've been preparing you for another move of the Holy Spirit, just like you've already seen in England. Uh, You're gonna see that your lives are gonna be just as fruitful over here. Uh, And at the same time as he was speaking to us about that, I injured my knee, which was the genesis of us starting uh, the first business that we started, the Karis Group, uh, which was to help uh, people learn how to negotiate and navigate uh, the difficulties and complexities of the American medical system, uh, and so Keris grew out of that injury uh, and my own experience of negotiating my own bills. Of course, over the years since then, Keris has negotiated billions of dollars of bills, uh, and out of Keris grew Su, uh, which we 're now trying to transform how health care is paid for uh, in the United States by showing people the the power of the a sort of voluntary cooperative movements uh, rather than the insurance model uh, with all of the problems that it has.
0: Wow. <laughs> what a story. um trying to think where to go back to. I had one question about that nine-year time. That's a long time. And especially when you both feel so certain that you had heard the direction to go. But we are human, and I'm wondering if there were times when in your marriage that became challenging and how you handled that in your marriage where maybe one of you got discouraged or, you know, thought maybe we just dreamed this up or something. I think that's always the hard thing about walking with the Lord is we, we pray and we seek and we seek his word and the counsel of other believers. And just because we step out in obedience doesn't mean everything goes well, or as we would define it, or in our time frame. So uh, did you have times where, you know, you lost patience or maybe got frustrated with each other or questioned, did we really hear the Lord?
1: I'm sure we questioned a lot, did we, did we hear the Lord? But we, we kept going back to the sort of uh, the incredible way that God had led us to the States. And it wasn't mm-hmm. as though we didn't enjoy living here. We loved living here. It was just that we couldn't make our ends meet. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, for us, the, a real challenge was uh, the church situation too, where we just did not fit into the typical American church very well. hmm
0: we didn't either.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we amplify in terms of uh, some of the struggles. Uh, and I think, interestingly enough, I would not say the struggles that we experienced were really with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that was part of God's grace and maybe part of the foundation on which we had built our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had talked uh, from our earliest days. I, probably, I'm not 100% sure, but probably even in our engagement before we were married, uh, that uh, for us, uh, the idea of divorce would never be an option. Mm -hmm. Uh, That whatever happened, we were making a commitment before God and before man, uh, literally till death do us part. uh, And that uh, we just wouldn't consider divorce. Uh, And so, you know, by God's grace, and obviously we've had tough times like anybody has. We've had Mm -hmm. lots of tough times. Uh, but we, we've never let that uh, interfere uh, with the fact that there's a commitment to each other. Uh, now, uh, that again, that doesn't make it an easy road. So just like those nine years right. weren't easy, there are all sorts of things tied up with marriage, including in those nine years, uh, when you know, things were a real struggle, the finances got desperate, yeah. Uh, on many, many occasions. I mean, we still remember and sort of nowadays laugh about it with the kids, but uh, we remember the time we brought them back from school and we said there'd be no more stopping at Seven Eleven 11 to buy a drink on the way home. We, we couldn't afford it as a family. Uh, and, you know, watching our kids go without, mm-hmm. when we're both doctors, and it should be so easy, you know, back in England, even though we would work part-time because uh, we had so many other sort of ministry commitments, we could still make plenty of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so those were, were the sort of struggles. Uh, and I'd say my struggle wasn't so much with Felicity. Maybe she would say opposite, but my struggle wasn't with Felicity. It was with right. God.
0: Right. Uh, right,
2: Literally, I would cry out to him, literally mm-hmm. be crying sometimes in the car, saying, mm-hmm. God, why, are, why is it so difficult?
0: Yeah, and I get the sense that um, I, I would say there are three types of marriage. There's traditional, which, as Christians, is typically more the the man is the head of the home; he makes the decisions. Um, just everything that you would think of that would follow a traditional path. There's a complementarian where maybe both people have equal um, they have different roles, but equal importance. And then there's egalitarian where both people are fully partners. And I get the sense that you are very much a team, that it wasn't you, Tony, saying, we're moving to America. And we're, you know, this is what God told me. Because in in our many years of of ministry and just the work that we have done also, and in my work as a marriage counselor, um, it always makes the hair on my neck go up a little bit when typically I think it's the husband that says, God told me this, so we need to do this. And the wife isn't there yet. And so that probably is more the situation where there's some resentment if if both people are not there fully. So I would see that as one of the real cornerstones of your long marriage is that you are equal partners, and um, you appreciate each other's intellect and spiritual development and friendship. So, okay. So, uh, what what was that, Felicity?
1: We've been incredibly blessed in that way.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. I think that's just a beautiful picture, really. You know, that is the whole picture when both people are equally valued so tony you you had injured your knee and so tell us a little more about how this first business so your first business what is it called what does it do how much did the two of you talk about starting that first business
2: well you're absolutely right to describe uh, our marriage in the language you did, as egalitarian. Uh, we absolutely believe that uh, husband and wife are partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, e- even the, the, the word uh, that is often used in a slightly derogatory sense uh, of, you know, the wife as a helpmate. Uh, it, it, the biblical use of that word uh, describes God uh, as a helper. God is my helpmate in times of trouble, Psalm 46 and verse 1. You know, so uh, there's no way that any of us are on equal partnership with God, but he's prepared to describe himself as our helper. And husbands and wives are there to help each other. Uh, So, uh, yes, this fortuitous accident, uh, which led to the founding of the Karis Group, Uh, happened because for much of those nine years, uh, Felicity and I had been praying uh, into this whole area of, well, Lord, how should we be making a living? Uh, And we had specifically prayed through Deuteronomy 8, uh, where it teaches, it says, for it is God who gives the power to create wealth so that he may fulfill his covenant throughout the earth. And we'd been praying and saying, Lord, you know, g- give us the idea. Show us what it is that you want us to do that can enable us to make a living and to be available and have our time and resources and energy available to you. Uh, and I injure my knee and I negotiate my own bills down uh, dramatically. And Felicity is given the idea by the Lord. Do you think the Lord is using this to show us something we could do? And and she said to me, why why don't you call the people uh, who were going to share in the cost of that bill? It was actually one of the Christian ministries, Christian uh, uh, Care MediShare, or lots of people know it as MediShare. They hear advertising on the radio and the like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And since uh, Christians around the country were going to share it, she said, why don't you call MediShare and tell them what you've done to bring these bills down and see if they'd like your help? Uh, And within 48 hours of us telephoning them to say what we had done, I had actually begun negotiating bills for them. Uh, And that was the beginning of a very fruitful relationship, saved them and, you know, their their members' enormous sums of money over the next five years uh, before we basically taught them and handed it over to them to, to take care of their own members. And we then began helping the other ministries and uh, the company began growing in other ways.
0: Okay. So the Karis Group began in 97? 96. 96. Mm-hmm. Late okay. 96. Okay. And so was it just you, Tony? Were you working in it together? Or what, what did that look like at the beginning of the business?
2: Well, what I jokingly say is Felicity has nearly all the ideas, and then she very wisely hands all the work off to me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yes, it was me and my laptop in a tiny little room beside our uh, our kitchen in the house we were in in those days. Um, for any who might be technical, uh, my laptop was so pathetic in those days; it had a forty megabyte hard oh, drive. Goodness! You could <laughs> load, you know, Windows onto your computer. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yes, me and my computer and an Excel spreadsheet on the computer. And we began negotiating bills, Uh, but very quickly the Lord began blessing uh, and I began hiring others to come and work with me. We moved into the
0: garage. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You got um, an upgrade? uh,
2: upgrade, We uh, we probably were breaking the zoning laws, uh, but we grew so fast that we then had to grow grow out of the garage and moved into a a larger place in an area where we were allowed to work out of our hub. So Uh, how did
0: you get... How did you get reimbursed? How did you make money negotiating the medical bills? Um,
2: well, what I arranged uh, with uh, this first client uh, was that uh, we would take a small percentage of anything we saved them. Okay. So that way they, they have no risk. Uh, mm-hmm. But if we saved them $100, you know, they would let us keep $10 of what we saved them. Okay. Uh, no, it was, it was about that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, uh, so you,
2: mm-hmm. and, and that you know, once you begin, then saving millions of dollars, you're uh, you've got enough that you can be paying for your staff and facilities and uh, doing everything you need to do.
0: Okay. So, did you have a business plan when you started this, Tony, or did it, it sounds like it just started as I think I can do this? And so, at what point did you or did you ever you know formulate a business plan and pro forma and growth strategy?
2: I had no business plan. I knew nothing about business. Uh, a British doctor is uh, trained within a socialized system. And so I really have very limited business experience, even from my medical practices. Um, uh, no, we, we, we literally, uh, I guess we're throwing mud on the wall and seeing what's done. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> okay. We, we had
2: a lot to learn. Uh, but uh, I, I, I love learning. Uh, in fact, as I look back, I, I mentioned in those early, you know, nine difficult years, uh, for six or seven of those years, we supported ourselves through our Amway business. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually learned a lot about business. Uh, okay. through
0: that. Yeah I lost that
2: my is... fear of selling. I didn't mind meeting people. I got used to doing all sorts of things that were beneath the dignity of a, of a doctor uh, but God was not at all interested in my dignity. He was more interested <laughs> in my character. Uh, so, uh, you know, out of this uh, came a background of saying, yes, we can make this work. Uh, and Felicity has just always been incredibly supportive.
0: Were you part of the business, Felicity? Did you have a role in that
1: well, early, early days? I mean, I, I have at various times uh, had to role. So, Yes, but, um no, mostly, thankfully, it's been Tony who's done the work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what was one of the hardest times that you both remember as you started this business and it grew? You know, in, in
2: 2001. Yeah, in, in 2001, uh, we had a very major client who uh, completely unexpectedly, They had actually been asking us to do some expansion work for them because of things they were going to do. And uh, we had, you know, over the previous six months, spent quite a bit of money into this expansion. Uh, And then all of a sudden, uh, this client decided that, no, it was going to be better for them if they uh, if they took the work in-house and did it themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we lost a a, a massive part of the company income. Uh, And... Uh, That was extremely difficult because we had, you know, a number of employees by that stage and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, office space, rental, all of this type of stuff. Uh, And, um, well, that definitely drove us to our knees. Uh, And so in in that context, um, and this would be one of the ways that Felicity has always been uh, incredibly solidly behind the business, uh, we began to pray, and you might want to describe some of that.
1: Yes, I mean, so we had this, uh, this little office building, and uh, no, no, I think we let all our employees go at that point, and uh, because we'd signed a non-compete, uh, we couldn't even sort of do any sales work, really. We were just there with, you know, various expenses, obviously, were ongoing, you know, family expenses as well as um, all the keeping the office. And I don't if we kept any employees. It yeah, uh, doesn't um, matter. Anyway, but we spent our time praying. We marched up and down this little building, praising, worshipping God, yes. claiming promises, binding the enemy, doing anything and everything we knew day after day after day. It became our way of life for probably about a year, wasn't it, before we began to see breakthroughs.
2: It did. It took almost a year before uh, we were able to land another client of that size uh, and begin to build things back up again.
0: Wow. Were uh, they pretty much your only client, or did you have some business still to do that you were we able had to do? A tiny
2: little bit of other business, but uh, really not much. Okay. Uh, but Because of the contract that we had signed. And, and it was a company that was growing very fast, and we were glad to grow with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were glad to, to focus on them, but uh, in what we, yeah, in retrospect, it, of course, was a very poor decision.
0: How did you make it through that time? Financially, I, I, that's so hard when you have to let employees go.
1: Yeah.
0: Basically,
1: God, God showed up. I remember one, one month where we had no money for the mortgage or anything else, and a car uh, went into a tree. Uh, just immediately outside our property. Well, sort of, I guess it was still it's our property, in our property, but, but outside, outside our fence. fence. And the insurance company came and looked and said, oh, this tree is worth, you know, several thousand dollars. We'll pay you for this tree, which was still standing and stood for several more years. And they just gave us the money. And, you
2: know, that uh, kept oh my us goodness. going for another month or two. Extraordinary, wow. yeah. It was month after month for probably a year nine months to a year of, Lord, I don't know how you're doing it. Uh, but, but he, he, he showed us ways where we could gather enough money each month mm-hmm. to, to keep things together. Mm-hmm.
0: And that was how far into the business? That that, oh, five, you said that was 2001. Mm-hmm. So it'd been about six, uh, five, years, six five years. years. Okay. And, I I know from you know what I've read, especially you, Felicity. You um, well, you both were working with house churches. Was that during the same time?
1: Yes. Yeah, so that that um, same in in nineteen ninety six. That's when we began our first house church.
0: Okay. So okay. The
1: people that we had um, been working with in those nine years, all of them non Christians. We we pulled them together for. A time of studying finances, I think it was, or business principles, and so we had a dozen non-Christians meeting in our living room, and we looked at the Book of Proverbs together. And over mm. the course of a year, all of them became Christians.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: Yeah. And uh, at that stage, we were going to, we were taking them to a church that met in Central Austin. We live in South Austin, but that church then moved mm. to way North Austin, and. It, was, it would have been probably a 50 minute to an hour journey. And so we went and we, we spoke to the pastor there and said, well, what do you suggest? And he said, well, why don't you start something? You've started mm-hmm. churches before, which we had in England. Uh, why don't you start something? And so, so we did. Yeah, and, uh, yeah we got our, we, we, we had at that stage, you know, the, the kids still at home. And so we suggested that they invite their friends to what we call the breakfast Bible study which we held on a Sunday morning because we wanted to reach the non-Christian kids and we figured the mm-hmm. Christian kids would be in church during that time. And the kids from the neighborhood started coming and uh, we cooked a huge breakfast for them. We'd have singing and Bible study and uh, they started becoming Christians. And then their parents wanted to know why their kids were changing and they started coming too. And so uh, so at that stage, when we pulled together the the business people from the first group and the Christian, the, the kids and their parents from the second group, we had about 55 people meeting in our very average-sized living room. <laughs> and so at that point, we had to decide, well, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, the traditional thing to have done would be to go rent a hall and, and uh, get bigger. But we would had nine years of thinking about church and what church really was, mm-hmm. uh, We we thought back to the days when we'd started churches in England and how the most vibrant and exciting times were when they were small and in homes. And we were also hearing stories out of countries like China and India where God was obviously multiplying the small. And so we decided to go that route and multiply the
0: small rather than getting bigger. That was the name of one of your books, right? Where? Small is Big? Small is Big, yeah. You know, it's so interesting because maybe it was just me and Mark, but we didn't think of ourselves as entrepreneurs when we we went to California after Mark went through seminary, finally finished, <laughs> it took him forever. But um, we didn't think of that in entrepreneurial terms. But I've come to realize that people that start churches, whether it's a house church or a more traditional setting, There's just, there's a little bit of a restlessness, isn't there? Okay, so that was all going on at the same time. So 2001, you go through this very tough time. And how does that turn around?
2: Well, uh, out of these months of prayer, uh, where literally every day we would take hours down at the office because we had nothing else to do. Uh, I mean, yes, of course, I was also making phone calls, trying to get land, new clients, etc. But Mm -hmm. none of it was getting anywhere. But we were learning how to take serious the promises of Scripture. I mean, I remember us uh, marching up and down, not literally marching, but we we like to walk when we pray. Uh, And so, you know, the two of us would be there and we'd be praying together. And uh, we'd say, Lord, you know, your word talks about how you're going to send people from the north and the south and the east and the west uh, and we believe, Lord, that you're going to send contracts to us from the north and the south and the east and the west. You know, Little did I know, you know, in those days, one or two companies would have been nice. Uh, yeah. n- now, but between our companies, we probably have contracts with a thousand plus companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, God, God was preparing us so that we would really trust him with the business. And then finally... We land another really large contract uh, with an entity that we uh, still look after 18 years later, okay. uh, and uh, you know done huge amounts of medical discounting work on their behalf over the years. Uh, so uh, for for us, it was very much a growing time, uh, but he turned it around suddenly. Yeah, it, it it took nine months, maybe a year. I'm not exactly sure of the time frame. But when we landed this new client, then again, that was enough that we could get moving properly. Then we began landing more and more clients uh, in, in rapid succession.
0: Okay. And it, it's clear to me, again, that, um, you know, it wasn't like, well, Tony, this is your business. And Felicity, you were like, just go take care of it. You were very much in it together. And I have found that um, I've had other entrepreneurs tell me that that makes a big difference in the success of a venture is whether or not the spouse is on board, Um, and they don't feel so alone. You know, being the lone ranger is is a very difficult place to be, and so um, I just love hearing that about your story. That this was our business because the business provided the means for you to do the other work you were wanting to do with the house churches. And like you said, have time to spend time with your neighbors and kids, friends and that sort of thing. I'm also mindful that, you know, Seth Godin talks, he has a little book called the dip and how it's hard to know when a new business or venture, when it dips, it's like, is it a dip or is it a cul-de-sac? Did you, was part of that months of praying wondering if, if it was the end, if you needed to do something else, or did you know that this was the direction you were to continue?
2: That's a really good question, Kathy, and um, I'm, I, I'm trying to think, you know, in terms of what our thought process was at the time. So don't forget, we'd had the nine years that were really difficult. Uh, And so now watching the Lord, you know, let something grow and be blessed and, you know, for five years here, making a wonderful living, able to help other people going out on mission trips because we could afford it all over Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. uh, and then crash. uh, I, I don't think it really crossed our mind that that was a change in direction. It was more like. Okay, Lord, you've allowed this. We, we need to see it through. Uh, and I think, I think we had a confidence uh, that, that God would take care uh, and that uh, we did not have to panic. Uh, it wasn't like uh, something else was what we were supposed to be doing, but we needed to learn how to hold on to him, even for a business. we had held on to him for ministry things in previously, But now we have to learn to take these lessons into the business world. Uh, And uh, certainly uh, now, whatever, 24 years uh, on into the business life, uh, we we see the power of that perseverance. And and you mentioned Seth Godin's book, you know, The The Dip. Uh, I'm I'm a great lover of his books. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a very, very clear thinker. Uh, and, yes, that has a tremendous, not just business sense, but I think a remarkable moral sense of mm-hmm. uh, importance of uh, really knowing what true north is for a business. Uh, so, yes, uh, for us, we, we knew it was a dip, not a cul-de-sac.
0: Okay. So, where has the business progressed since then? And... At what point did you start this second business? Tell us about that one.
2: Okay, well, the business back then, so 2001 through let's call it 2010, uh, as it regrew and re established and became profitable again, um, uh, that was a fairly slow, steady, uh, you know, build it faithfully. Uh, But in our thinking, what we were doing was the business was a form of tent-making, if that's a biblical term that people are used to, that we could do tent-making rather like the Apostle Paul did, so that we had time and money uh, to do Christian ministry. We weren't really, in those days, thinking of the business as the ministry. We were thinking of it as a tool for generating money for ministry.
0: Okay. But it did.
2: Yeah, and it did. Uh, so we were very grateful for that. But by 2010, we had been watching what was going on with these house church movements all over the world. We, we had been involved in movements that had, I guess, literally seen tens of thousands of churches beginning. Uh, very small churches, you know, small things multiplying through homes. Uh, But uh, these were very powerful movements that were touching large numbers of people, both in this country and elsewhere. Uh, And uh, But there was a dissatisfaction of some sort emerging. Now, again, this is kind of typical of the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, Most entrepreneurs, uh, rather like you described your, your husband before the podcast, prefer looking at the 30,000-foot viewpoint. They're not that interested in all the details. Right. day-to-day. Uh, the the
0: day. They get bored.
2: <laughs> yeah. That would be exactly the word. I often say to people, you know, I love getting something started, and then I'm bored with it, and I want to hand it over to people who will do it better than I will. Uh, so I was beginning to feel that about house churches and praying about that and saying, Lord, what, what are you really preparing us for in this? Uh, and At that point, it was around about 2010, might have been 2009, I I don't remember the exact dates, and my CEO at the Carrots Group, with whom I had a buy-sell arrangement, uh, so that by 2018, he was going to take over the company.
0: Okay. Uh, uh,
2: But 2010, he came to me and he said, Tony, I'd really like to accelerate our agreement, uh, and you're involved in all this Christian ministry. How about I just buy you out now? Uh, And... I thought, that'd be a great idea. Uh, love that idea. Then, you know, we have a few million, million dollars or something and that'd be enough money to live on the interest and uh, we, we can do where our hearts really are. But as Felicity and I begin to talk and pray about that, we're just not sure. And so we decide to go away.
1: Well, it started a little bit before that. So oh, one night in the middle of the night, <laughs> <laughs> our pool alarm goes off. And uh, so we, you know, we get up, obviously, we're wide awake, and we go and check, and there's nothing there. It's just one of those you know, foibles of our pool alarm system, I guess. And so uh, we can't get back to sleep again, and so we decide to, to get up and pray. And earlier, um, within the previous 24 hours, I'd, I'd asked Tony, Tony, where does that verse come from? where it says that you put your money into a pocket filled with holes because that's a little bit how it felt at the time. Hmm. And uh, he said, all that comes from the book of Haggai. Yes. I got it right. And so I say to him, well, you know, this is three o'clock in the morning. Why don't we read the book of Haggai? And so we start reading it. And as it goes on, we're reading in a fairly modern version. It gives, it starts giving dates. And one of the, we, we get to the beginning of chapter two and it says something like, and on on October the 15th, such and such happened. And I, I turn to Tony and I say, Tony, what is today's date? And he says, well, it's October the 15th.
0: Oh my word. So
1: then we really start reading Haggai. And probably over the next few months, we go over it again and again and again together. And also the book of Zechariah and God starts speaking to us in extraordinary ways and tells us basically that we're not to not to get out of the business; that we're to we're to bring it to a to a finish. It talks about how Zechariah puts the capstone on the building, and that we had not yet put a capstone on the building. And so that's that's you know when we start. Um,
2: so all of a sudden, our focus is switching from building house church movements to saying, Lord, how does that apply in the business world? And he's saying, Psalm 24 and verse one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. And we're thinking he wants us to build kingdom within business. Take all the principles we've learned about house churches, about the power of small groups, uh, and take it to where the people are. Well, in America, where the people are, is in businesses. The vast majority of non-Christians have zero interest in church anymore. They've even already, yeah, they voted with their feet. But they all go to work, or nowadays they don't even go to work. they may yes. be like Zoom calls like this. Uh, and uh, the Lord was saying, all of these principles you've been learning are adaptable into businesses. Go and disciple people in their businesses. Uh, And for us, that gave us a whole new lease of life to to expand our vision for CARES. And it was very shortly after that that the Lord gave me uh, the ideas of uh, of what would become SEDERA, of how we could take the uh, Christian healthcare sharing methodology and find a way to take it out to the world. Why, Why would these sharing organizations only take care of Christians? Why, if we've got a godly principle that works well, wouldn't we as Christians willingly give it to a world that desperately needs answers in how to handle medical costs? Mm. And so that became the genesis uh, out of which Sadira was formed. Uh, And to the glory of God, uh, last year the Austin Business Journal uh, told us that uh, Sadira was the fastest growing small company in Austin. Uh, Wow. even by the time they told us, we now don't even qualify as a small company anymore. We now fit within their large company category. So, that is, is doing amazing.
0: Yes, yes. We talk so much about healthcare reform, but the things that are suggested, well, we could do a whole nother conversation on that. We could either. So... I love, I love the work you're doing and that's profound because Austin is, I mean, there's so many businesses there and they're growing like crazy. I love, love that story. Tell me, because, you know, so many people when they marry, they, they want to get to the point that you are, it's clear that you enjoy each other and, um, have a great friendship. What is it you've done over the years to maintain the fun, friendship, and intimacy in your marriage? There might be several things you do. So I, I would love to hear what you do.
1: Wow. <laughs> it's just so much a part of everyday life. It's hard to, to go down to specifics.
2: I mean, I'd, I'd say we do lots of things. Yeah. We, 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 we are entrepreneurial, both of us. So, you know, Felicity writes books, she starts groups, she's been very involved in all sorts of ministry, uh, shall we say, in her own right, nothing, you know, tied up with me. Uh, So, uh, but we also deliberately have chosen to do everything we can together. Mm -hmm. So whether it was, you know, it's very helpful that we're both doctors, and so we understand each other's work. Uh, we've always been involved in ministry together. Uh, uh, You know, as as I think about uh, Christian ministry, uh, you you mentioned in terms of traditional structures, there are many uh, Christian movements where uh, the women very much take a second place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some where they're even asked to to be silent. Uh, You know, so uh, in in Britain back in the 70s and 80s, uh, I would say in the vast majority of Christian churches, women were taking active part but they they weren't allowed in leadership positions or or let's just say they didn't get into leadership positions even if they were allowed in them Uh, but we began to feel no this is so contrary to what we see in the word of god that we're going to actively work towards that and and so we made a choice that even if 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 i got invited somewhere uh, i would tell people uh, I'd love to come, but Felicity and I always do our teaching and preaching together. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: So, uh, you know, are we both welcome, or are you only inviting me? Uh, and uh, it's amazing when you tell people that you're not going to come unless uh, your partner is allowed to be a part of it, uh, how they begin to, to change and to open up. And so we we have gone out of our way to choose Uh, to, I guess, experience what it means for the two to
0: become one. Mm.
2: Uh, And, you know, when when you do that, it impacts every part of your life.
0: Now, you have four children. Are they married? Well, yes, you have 11 grandchildren, you said. So how many of them are married?
2: Uh, Well, uh, all all of them are married. Okay. uh, Let's call it the usual use of that word, one of them. Uh Not be married in uh, in the legal sense, okay. Uh, but uh, they all uh, have wonderful spouses. Uh, they have uh, all of them have uh, children. So our eleven grandkids are spread out: four, two, three, uh, and two. Uh-huh. Uh b- Between the kids, um, uh, they they are, are doing all sorts of fascinating things. Uh, and for us, one of the the most enjoyable parts of watching that process unfold. But again, this, this has been deliberate, uh, is that, uh, we still bring all the kids and grandkids together. We do a lot of our financial planning as a family together. Uh, We've trained all of us together. Uh, and it now means that, uh, our adult kids are our best friends, uh, which is an awesome context to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, uh, we feel very fortunate also that, uh, you know, if our kids weren't our kids, we would still, want to get to know them but I was curious so when they married what kind of advice did you give them Um, and probably not you know like the night before they got married but I'm sure there are things that you uh, shared with them along the way about what it means to have a healthy relationship clearly you all have a very healthy marriage and we can't assume that our kids watching us know how to do that. Did you take some intentional steps to, um, to talk to them about healthy marriage along the way? Can you remember any of that?
1: Quite a while ago now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think um, we talked about the importance of marrying your best friend Mm. I think all of them have done just the friendship is key to their relationship. Um, and, and the, the, obviously the importance of putting the Lord first. If you put the Lord first in your marriage, you know, if the Lord's up here and you're getting closer to the Lord, you're getting closer to each other too. Absolutely. So talked about That kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And we, we've been intentional at, Uh, both practical relationship areas and things like finances for for many, many years until there were quite this many grandchildren. We're we're trying to figure out how to resurrect this uh, habit, but we would bring all the kids together and any children they had uh, once a year for a long Easter weekend together. Uh, And we would rehearse together the things that the Lord had spoken into their lives. Uh, And so uh, we would remind them, and they would remind each other. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament when the children of Israel crossed the River Jordan. Uh, The Lord tells them, hey, pick up 12 stones from one side and use them to build a memorial on the other so that when your children say to you, what do these stones mean? You can tell them. Uh, And we've deliberately built that into our our sort of family history.
0: I love that.
2: Uh, So for us, the idea of building an intentional legacy Mm -hmm. uh, very much includes these types of, let's call them almost rituals where Mm -hmm. uh, we have anchors on which people can build their lives.
0: Yeah. And one of the things we know, I say we being in my field of marriage and family therapy, is that rituals are a very important part of healthy marriage? How we start the day, how we end the day. But I love that, and especially given the the long periods of time that you all experienced, where you know you just you felt like God was silent. It felt like it was a dis, a desert, and then you're. You know, you begin to watch your kids, and they go through tough times also. And so how important it is to be able to remind them of how God was faithful in your situation and how he will be faithful in theirs. So powerful. Man, I love that. Anything else you would like to share with our listeners? Um, Any word of, of wisdom or advice about business or marriage? Um, maybe something you would say to your 30 year old self. You want to start?
1: Sure. I, um, the importance of putting the Lord first in everything, that He, even when the tough times come, He will get you through those times. Um,
2: so that, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. And in, in that context, um, I, I think maybe because we've been talking about it just now with you. Um, encouraging a familiarity of reminder of what God has done and of what the family means. Uh, so from a very young age, we we would talk about you know my parents and their parents and the fact that there's a family legacy here. It's not it's not an accident that you're in this family. And so, let's expect that God is going to create His opportunities and uh, His purpose. And if you like, that He's going to paint this broader uh, landscape, this uh, this picture of what it is He wants to do through each one of us. Uh, and that brings incredible meaning into a life.
0: Mm, that's so wonderful. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for sharing your story and your wisdom. And um, if someone wants to reach either of you, what is the best way for them to find you?
2: Uh, well, they can certainly find either, either of us online. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if they went to FelicityDale.com, I think they would get to... So Felicity FelicityDale.com is my... Your
0: okay, great. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and
2: um, they can get hold of me through either the Karis Group or Sadira without any problem.
0: Fantastic. Thank you guys so much and have a wonderful day. I'll let you know when this goes live.
2: Appreciate Thank you it. so Thank you. much. It's been
0: a delight. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, thanks so much for listening. You can find the full transcript to this episode, along with many resources for marriage, at my website, kathyrushing.com. That's Kathy with a K, rushing.com. If you enjoyed this episode, would you do me a great big favor and share it with a friend? That's how we spread the word. Until next time, remember you're building a life together. Make it a great one. See ya.